and some parents and some advocates are better than the others so if you know what you say if you fall within the right person uh i guess point of view the planner that you get good plan she all she wanted is to get her license back to drive again and no one wanted to listen to her because stroke affected her speech and if you feel that you're so tired and you are out of your depth and everyone's telling you it's fine this is normal it is not just change jobs there's so much fish in the sea welcome to the wizard ot podcast my name is gavin symes and i'm a registered occupational therapist who is on a personal and social eternal quest to understand how to best improve the quality of life of as many people as possible the aim of this podcast is to spread interesting information and speak to people with a diverse range of experiences and ways in which to view the world. This episode is with Noor Jawad, who is a paediatric occupational therapist who has a very interesting story in relation to her journey to becoming an occupational therapist. One thing I think is very important to be aware of is because of various things, the Wizard OT podcast was on hold or has been on hold for a fairly long time and this appears i'm quite blown away um this interview and or discussion was recorded way back in april 2023 so time has flown by um and obviously any information that may have changed for nor but i will put her contact details and her website in the show notes as you would have heard from the introduction to this episode, I'm talking to Noor Jawad, and I did pronounce that all correct, Noor Jawad. I got yep. that right. Okay, excellent. Fantastic. It's a good start. And Noor is actually, uh, I, yeah, I, I like saying this, is a person I previously supervised when Noor was a Masters of Occupational Therapy student in Sydney. So yep. this is a bit of a blast in the past. So... No, I know that we kind of had a very brief chat just before, but yeah. I would really like to know um, how you kind of got into thinking about doing occupational therapy, because I think your path was very different. So what interested you about the concept of occupational therapy? Mm. Um, so in 2018, before August 2018, if you asked me what is occupational therapy, I didn't, I would not have been able to answer you because I didn't know there is such a thing. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> so because I come from somewhere where we don't actually, in my background, in my country, mm. uh, which is Iraq, uh, occupational therapy is not a profession. We don't have that. So, right. I, yeah, so I, I grew up not knowing what it is, and I haven't ha come across one in Australia. Um, but um, as I was, uh, as I graduated from my previous degree um, in 2017, um, and I was just doing the odd research, teaching at university jobs here and there, I just slowly knew I sort of didn't fit in the academia world, and I just was really... I, I wanted to do something different. I was ready can I to just, Can again. I just pause you? So I think yeah. you've kind of very much brushed over there. Yeah. 
So what level of um, education and academia were you at? As in what level were Uh you at? Because you just very... There, you just brushed over that really quick. That you oh, yeah, actually... yeah, sorry. Yes, yeah, no, no, so I, um, I finished uh, um, a doctorate degree, so PhD in molecular, um, so neuromolecular biology slash neuroscience, sort of in that field. Um, and I finished that. I graduated in 2017 from the University of Western Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was basically a scientist and a doctor, I, a doctor. So I've got, yeah, that's my title. <laughs> um, so I worked at the same time as studying because, um, I think to anyone who did a research degree at university, um, you work as a tutor, supervisor in lab, sometimes lectures just to support, um, sort of support your income, get more academic um, expertise. And um, it's just what you do, because usually your supervisor is an academic at university and they have classes and you just work part of their team. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did for quite a while. And I was doing the research assistant jobs in labs here and there, uh, looking for um, work as postgraduate postgraduate, um, fellows at universities. Interestingly, at that time, it was very competitive because it was Mm. pre-COVID. Those postdoctorate jobs were open to the whole wide world and they are not stable at the same time. So to anyone who knows about academia, it's all about grants. So you get a grant, you get work a little bit, then you might need to travel, apply another grant and so on. And I just was sort of burnt out about that stage because my PhD was long um, and um, I had not stopped studying since 2006 when I came to Australia the year before. So I was just 10 years of intense, you know, learning the language, doing a, a degree, writing a thesis, writing another thesis and working at the same time. So I just couldn't do that whole academic chasing anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just reached to a stage where I was like, I either do something different that really matches who I am, or I do stay at home mom <laughs> and become an artist, one of those hipster. <laughs> so um, that's how, how it, I was like, at, I was looking at becoming a physiotherapist um and classic the classic I don't know if you've heard that there's so many people they're like hmm I might become a physio and then they see how competitive it is even if you're at PhD level yeah it can be so difficult that's actually I I don't know if I ever told you that's what I wanted to do I wanted to be a physio because I was like oh okay yeah I could I could do that I could give people a massage and like I don't know I didn't really understand physio I guess (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting because the reason I looked at it is because I actually have, because of my background and at uni when I was teaching, I was teaching anatomy and physiology. Mm. So my my strength is human anatomy and human function. Mm. Like I know it like the back of my hand. So I was like, oh, this will be just right up my alley, you know, something yeah. I don't need to put so much new learning in. Um. But not that's competitive is not the reason I change. It's because actually my husband, he, his mom was a physiotherapist all her life. 
um, and she was a physiotherapist to, she was a pediatric physiotherapist who worked with children with severe physical and mental disabilities. So, mm -hmm. you know, the cerebral palsy kiddos, um, epilepsy and stuff like that in the days where there was no support, no NDIS. So when I told him I'm thinking about physiotherapy, he was, he said, have you ever heard of someone called occupational therapy? So what do you mean? He said, well, grow, growing up with my mom and seeing what she did and who worked in her team and around her and knowing you as, as my wife and my friend, you are much suited to be an occupational therapist, who you are as a person, as a rather than a physio. Mm -hmm. And that really interested me because I'm like, what are you talking about? So I started reading and I, I sort of see where he came from. It's that personal and interpersonal level. It's that empathy that I have. It is so much better at a level where, where you work in all aspects of a human life rather than just the muscle is not working or the, you know, the back is hurting or it's just like I fit in that holistic story of my client much better as an occupational therapist. And I actually really appreciate it now. And that's how I got into it. It's just he was like, oh, Darling, why don't you look at this? Do some reading. <laughs> and I, and he applied for the degree for me. I, I didn't even know he did. He said, just try, just try, just try one semester for me. <laughs> can I can I can I say your husband's name? I want to give him a shout out. Is that all yeah. right? Hey, shout out to Andrew. Never met Andrew before, but what a don. <laughs> what a Donny to just do it for you and be like, hey, Nor, why don't you give this occupational therapy stuff? And you're like, I don't really want to work with people just to find a job. No, I'm joking about that. Cause that's the most common one, isn't it? It's like, I don't have a job though. It's like, yeah, but occupation's broader than that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I honestly went in thinking it was hospital rehab, you know, I just walk in the hospital and do, you know, the stroke rehab or I didn't even know, even at that stage, I had no idea what pediatric occupational therapists do or what the potential could be for me. So I just sort of fell into it based on my husband's advice and I got hooked. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm just going to go one step back. So yeah. I guess there may be people listening to this who are outside of Australia and may, yeah. or even working in Australia. I think it's hard to avoid what NDIS actually is yeah. because it's such a huge, and everyone's got an opinion on it, haven't they? Everyone, yeah. even an Uber driver, the other Uber driver. An Uber driver the other day, tongue twister, um, said, oh, I've heard that the NDIS is overspending. And you're like, oh, OK. Anyway, but just to explain to people who are maybe not from Australia is NDIS is short for National Disability Insurance Scheme. Yeah. And what it actually means is the theory behind it. And I can't see you right now because we don't have the video on, but your eyes might roll. Um, <laughs> is that technically the premise is, is that each person is assessed. Mm. Well, they are formally assessed to actually identify their particular support needs and likely clinical intervention needs. And mm. then they are provided something called an NDIS plan. Yeah. which has funding in that plan to pay for individual services. So it's, I guess if you're very cynical, it's cap, um, not capitalizing, uh, it's privatizing um, mm. the entire health and social care system. And then it goes on to the person, their family, and often their representatives and whatever 
to actually organize things and get things into place. And it removes a lot of the, and I'm not going to pretend that government departments aren't bureaucratic and slow and there's long wait lists and you don't get great service, but there's many reasons as to why the NDIS isn't meeting that initial thing that I mentioned about formal assessment and the correct funding, because I don't know what you think, Nor. Some yeah. people can get really good NDIS plans. And some, and yeah. Yeah. And uh, there is many, um, the more I dive into it. So it, it's um, it, because it's fell into the private sector. That's one issue because it's a insurance scheme and dealing with the most vulnerable in the community. That's another issue. Mm-hmm. And the third issue is it's very flawed based on human error. So the plan is based on the opinion of someone who's not really educated in the sector. So planners don't have an idea. They don't know. They can get convinced or unconvinced. It's case by case. And some parents and some advocates are better than the others. So if you know what you say, if you fall within the right person, uh, I guess, point of view, the planner, that you get good plan. If you're not very educated, if you don't have advocates, then you're basically, um, yeah, fall within the cracks. So it's yeah. very, yeah, it's really challenging at the moment, but, you know, hopefully. And I think what's very difficult for people like you and I is that I think that being occupational therapists and occupational therapists who are very much advocates for people. And when, again, you would hope all occupational therapists and clinicians want the best. But I think when we see these things in a very, like you mentioned, a holistic way of mm. looking at the biological, the psychological and the social. And again, that's a model that I really like. I mean, it's it's mm. very broad because people then forget that it can be biological and psychological and social. And it, that's that's what we're talking about when we talk about the biopsychosocial model. It's not pick one from these three circles of this Venn diagram. It's it's all interrelated. But then, like you're saying, a planner, and I'm I'm going to be very blunt. Planners mm. often have apps, and also the thing which makes my skin crawl is when someone says, mm. "Oh, we haven't got a planner," and I'm like, "No plan," and they say, "Oh, you've got a local area coordinator." I'm like, oh, "Someone who's even less qualified and experienced making all the decisions." And like yeah. you're saying, the people that fall through the cracks, from my experience, are the people mm. who are of a lower socioeconomic yeah. background. They get discriminated against by yeah. the planners, basically. Mm. They just they just get brushed off. Yeah. And and I have real life examples of same people, same di- diagnosis, even mm. more needs, but because the parents know what they say, they're more. Um, they're more advocating for their children. They're more educated. They know the law. They know the guidelines. They can they can face them. They can tell them no, that's not right. But the ones who don't even know, they just need support, and and they don't know the ins and outs of this complex world. They just they 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 don't get fair to go. You know, it's not. It's just really horrendous. Well, I'll give you an example. Nor a young person I'm working with. <clears throat> had so a lot of clinical hours it's almost like i thought this there was a mistake in the number of zeros after this person so this person had for 12 months support work it's very clear that this young person needs support Mm. workers to help now don't don't be too shocked four hundred dollars four hundred dollars the whole plan yeah okay oh wow 
And I'm, I'm like, is there a couple of missing zeros there? Is oh. that? And then we've, it, again, you're right. I think it's a very flawed system in many ways. But anyway, but anyway, we, we're now just waxing lyrical about the NDIS, but I'm so we pleased. We could talk that, all day. <laughs> yeah, we could. We could fill the whole episode with it. Um, I want to give, I want to shine some light on your service, actually. So mm. just full, um, full disclosure, transparency, whatever those buzzwords are at the moment. I was your practice educator on your last placement. Yes. Um, and again, when I, again, what I really liked about you was I had no idea you were as formally educated as you actually were when you started. I just thought you were super enthusiastic and knowledgeable. And then you told me you were PhD level, uh, I did write it down, neuromolecular biology. So you're basically a neuroscientist and I'm like, Oh God, I've only done an undergrad and just about got through that. But you were still the expert. Yeah, well. <laughs> that doesn't really matter. Yeah. But what I really liked was the fact that you were very keen and interested in learning, obviously, because you're, it's almost like you've been a lifelong learner in a lot of ways. As you've nailed hope. it. You've nailed it. I'm, I'm addicted to learning. <laughs> and I guess, so after that placement, and that was at somewhere called, somewhere called Urella in yeah. Sydney, that I was the service manager, practice educator, and it was actually you and two other so I actually had three students to practice educate which was an interesting one um and so if you could just let our listeners know because I think this is really important for someone who's maybe getting to the end of their master's or their undergrad or I know in a lot of parts of the world now I think in the United States you have to go to PhD level to become an occupational therapist yeah for people like me with a crappy undergrads and no academic background I'm pleased I managed to do that way back way back when um so yeah. after you let after you qualified yeah where did you what happened in between that and your current service if you just let the listener know because yeah. I think it's quite inspiring for people to know that it doesn't mean you come out of uni you get the job of your dreams and it's all done it can be a journey no no university uh, uh for occupational therapists is really the first really tiny whiny step uh here I feel in Australia that degree only allows you to work as an occupant it's like an it's like a, a permit to be employed but um and I've given that feedback to university you know how they follow you up and do that mm-hmm. it, it prepared me in no way in the practical world that I'm in in now and that is really sad the reason why I'm saying that is because I did very little education about NDIS and even pediatric and if you look at that, if you look at the amount of work we do as occupational therapists, it's the type of work and the bulk is NDIS. You don't you don't get government job anymore, like 10% do and less. Everyone works in the private sector under the NDIS umbrella, and a huge number work with children. And how much of that did we get at university? Near zero. So you just get that permit to work and then you just suddenly realize you're in a deep end. And this is basically what my feeling. I got into this job. I stayed there for 10, 11 months with mixed caseload. So I would oh, start the classic. The classic. And I, mm. I chose it because mm. I got offered the job as uh, children only. But I was like, I'm not sure if I want to be a pediatric yet. I know I like neuro rehab, but what if 
what if I give myself a chance to try everything and decide? Because I don't like generalists. I'm not a generalist type of person. Not I don't like them. I don't like to be a generalist. Mm. Because if you see my background, I, I like to specialize. This is me. I like to learn one thing and learn it really well, then move to the next and learn it really well. So I just wanted to have a bit of a taste of what's going on. And I ended up having, a, I remember my Tuesdays, I would start with um, 65-year-old, 55-year-old stroke. And then as the day progresses, it becomes three-year-old, four-year-old, and then school kids. It was nuts. It was crazy. I just could not change the hats all the time. Yeah. I, I just wanted to learn something and learn it well. But it was really nice taster because I, as much as I enjoyed neuro rehab and I tell you in the 10 months I feel like I made real difference in some of my clients um like helping a lady with stroke get her license Mm. that was I would put I would wear that as a badge I still feel like I've accomplished a lifetime worth of contentment of like achievement just with this case if that makes sense you know what I mean like 100 percent 100 percent she all she wanted is to get her license back to drive again, and no one wanted to listen to her because stroke affected her speech. And it's really sad how people think if you can't speak properly, you're stupid. Well, I, I work just, with an amazing. I work with an amazing. Well, I've worked with a lot of speech pathologists, and I I still work with a couple of oh, my favorite. Shout out to my colleague Annika Janssen of Anecdote Clinical. Yeah. And I I mean no I don't know just sorry to interrupt but like at uni. Uh, I don't know what your master's like. My undergrad, I, we had nothing about communication on the whole three-year undergrad course. I mm. thought I understood communication. Step into the complex communication, disability, mental health world. And I worked with speech pathologists very quickly, which was great. And I was like, I know nothing about communication. Yeah. Yeah, it is. There is a lot. And it, yeah, it's just they they focus a lot about theory and models and that, but there's mm. not much in the practical Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was just, I think what, what held me those first 10 months that I didn't quit and run away <laughs> is because I have life experience and that was not the worst thing I've done. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I've done way worse. This is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just keep going, see what happens. And it's just through sifting through old and young, I just loved the, I just loved the con- unconditional love you get from children and the, I, I guess I'm a little bit, I'm a person who like to see real time results and quick results. And I get, I get motivated by changes. I've got motivated by emotions and you just get that from children, really. <laughs> just, no matter how severe the disability is with the right amount of support, you change children's life significantly because they grow. Yeah. So you're supported by their natural growth. You know, you got that head start anyway so it's just really really nice and that's um then I moved from that job spent two years just over two years in another private practice as only occupational therapist uh, for children mm-hmm. so pediatric solely pediatric and I found myself specializing in autism so mm-hmm. I dived into that sort of um you know how how to um 
how to do autism therapy ethically. And yes. um, the ethical yeah. part is very important. It is really because important. Yeah. I I actually listen to a really good podcast on a regular basis called I think it's both sides or both of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And I work with a lot of people. I mean, I don't really want to be a generalist, but uh, essentially the way that Wizard OT has come about. Mm -hmm. And I've got quite a broad brain where I really yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> bit so, of everything, which bit is, of, is bit of who you are. Yeah. And, nov and novelty. I like novelty. But again, um, and again, I think it's fantastic that we can do that professional development. I think anyone that comes out of any sort of thing like an occupational therapy degree masters uh, undergrad whatever and thinks they know it all and they don't need to do any more training I, yeah. I understand why I remember thinking at the end of my three years it was a full-time course I was working yeah. full-time I was single I didn't have any financial support it did me in it really did me in but I made it and I remember thinking at the end oh thank god I don't have to do any more learning ever again yeah <laughs> Then yeah, I know what you mean. Which is really, it's a lot of people do that, and it's it's totally it's who, it's just who you are. But but you have not stopped learning. You learn mm. differently. Like you yeah. can't basically stop learning in no. this job, or you know, it's it's you you do your own different style of learning. It doesn't have to be formal, you know. Listen to podcasts like the Wizard OT podcast. That would be that's, that that's what everyone wants to do. That's what everyone wants to do and hear me rambling. So just to pivot and or switch attention a little bit. So now you've got your own service. What's the what yeah. could you just tell us a little bit about that? Um yeah, so I um decided to go into working for myself. Um I, I've got a company. Um my my company's name is Relate First. Uh, I'm a mobile occupational therapist I don't have a clinic because I just uh I don't just from experience clinic it has its place but it's really hard to generalize skills that you've learned in a clinic so I like 100%. to skip that step and just teach the skills in the real environment um and um so I uh started last August I was still working part-time for the previous company I worked with mm -hmm. but uh, the main reason why I took the plunge is because um, no matter how much more I did in the private sector working for someone else yeah um, there was always more but there was no reward yes. they, they you always get asked to do more and more because it's for profit organization so you just the clients are numbers to increase profit oh, and yeah. you just need to work more and more and I just realized at, at this stage of my life I'm a mom for someone who for a daughter who's nine years old I don't get to see her in the morning I briefly see her in the evening I sometimes have to work on my weekend or have to work on my day off because I like to provide proper service mm. I don't leave clients not communicated with there's emails always responding to there was the extra letters and because of I I like to provide a holistic service so I'm not the therapist that sees you in a clinic and see you later I offered services to assess schools child cares did a whole lot of meeting with everyone so it was a proper collaborative approach and that just 
And then I got recognized for my services. I got I I, I stood out, you know, in, in, in the company. So I became a supervisor for the for, for my clinicians, but my load didn't go lower and my pay didn't go higher. Oof. And I was just like, um, I just don't know what you got. Like, I don't want to get burnt out. I love my job, but this is not what, why am I in this job for? I want to make a difference in at least someone's life. Um, but at the moment, I'm doing this on the expense of my own mental health and uh, the time I spend with my daughter, which is paramount to me. It was just so important. Um, so I decided to try it out. And because of the word of mouth and people, um, which is so humbling, so amazing, I just, I think, my strength is that going to the personal level with families and they just trust me and that trust have created a network. So the moment I said, I'm going on my own, I got full. People were just waiting for me to say that word to do, to, to come back, to come to me, even in new families that just heard. So, and it just felt so, it felt real. I felt so humble. I felt so privileged. I was like, wow, I, I just, I really just love the families I work with because of this mutual trust we have. And now when I say I'm full is I just work the number I want mm. by giving absolute maximum and our most beautiful tailored service to each client. They feel connected with, they feel they can reach me whenever they want and I can, and they trust that I will respond and I just got this message from my mom the other day with love hearts and, you know, like emojis. And she basically was just a random feedback saying, I just wanted to say, I love your communication skills. And it just, I stopped in my track and I was like, this is so nice. I think she nailed it. I think because I have this genuine Without realizing, I don't fake it. It just happens. It's who I am. I just like to talk and I like to be genuine and I like to get to hear people's stories and I take their concerns really seriously. Um, it, 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 it just makes this genuine connection just so beautiful. And because people love you, they follow your advice and the children progress. And I actually discharge a lot of kids at my service, which is really rare in the NDIS world because people stuck in their caseloads I don't like kids stuck with me I want them to graduate that's my goal this is what I tell people nor is that yeah. I'm not in the mindset of I think just to reflect on that what you were saying there that's beautiful that's and you know what's so nice is is that when I was your practice educator I could see all of this stuff in you as a person and I kept thinking you're going to be such an amazing OT. We'll have all these things. You've got great communication skills. You're actually interested <laughs> and you're actually passionate about what you do. And that is the kind of things, you know, in academia, that's often called like soft skills or like, yeah. oh, just, but what? Being able to relate first. There we go. Yeah. Tied it in. Yeah. Being able yeah. to relate first, someone to feel safe someone to feel connected, someone to feel like you're actually fucking listening. And I can swear on this because it's my podcast. Yeah, you do whatever you want. <laughs> I, I might beep it out. Um, but that is what we need. Because yeah. like you're talking about, there's this whole industry of get people in, work the absolute crap out of them, mm. and
And then if they can't hand let go, well, pfft, you can't, you're not up to scratch. We'll just I, get another new grad and burn them up. <laughs> well, I call it, I call it the post uni meat grinder. Yeah. Out comes the OT or the speechy or the physio from their uni course. They're like, oh, I need a job now. I wish I'd taken like a year's break, but I was like, I need a job. I need a job. And my last placement had offered me a job. But the thing is, I think think that can make people, and I hope I hope there's someone listening to this who's either about to leave uni or they've just started their first job and they're like, what is this? I didn't, they're not really listening to me. Or worst case scenario is you, you're being managed by someone who isn't even an OT. I found that very, very difficult, but I know that sometimes... Yeah, yeah. Also, you know, you were talking about how when I was working at a service, I mean, the whole time I've always wanted to work for myself. I've always wanted to have my own business. I had little hustles when I was younger. I used to sell spray paint because I worked out I could get it for like one pound fifty a can and I could sell it for four pounds a can. But that's a whole other story that didn't go well for many reasons. Um, <laughs> I've always had this kind of entrepreneurial type of mindset. But to be honest, before I did my undergrad, I thought I was just stupid. Like I was yeah. so, I did so badly at school. I just, I never had any academic skills. And I, but I always wanted to work for myself. And now I work with, uh, obviously, well, I work for myself. My, I always joke, my boss is okay. He can be a bit, um, it can be a bit uh, patronizing at times and a bit critical, <laughs> but he's all right. And people go, well, you work for yourself. And I'm like, hey, it's me being, um, Self-deprecating. Like, oh. Yes, I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, my boss is so problematic. She has no boundaries. And I've even thought, Nor, that actually what I should do is, and I've had multiple people say this to me, because I've basically mentored a ton of colleagues and friends and people to start their own support business, their own support worker for my friends who have like been working in the um, the justice system for years, working with very kind of Disasso- not disassociated i keep saying the wrong terms i've got so many disenfranchised young people yeah that's a, that's a huge gap we've got with the ndis work peds amazing amazing but wait lists are often really really long you've yeah. then also got it where you've got from oh from eight to ten years old up to 18 well mm. you're not a child so you don't need services and you've got so many young people who have experienced services who haven't really been that good or families yeah. who think they haven't been that good and then they just don't bother to get any services. And I've yeah. helped them. And I keep thinking, well, I reckon to help the people who are just qualifying, the people who are maybe stepping in to go, I don't think occupational therapy or speech pathology or exercise physiology, this isn't for me. I reckon I could show them how to start their own business and start getting their own clients pretty easy. But that's another idea in my now diagnosed ADHD brain. Anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. so. Um, and just in case someone's thinking, oh, Noor's fantastic, I'm just going to let people know. I'm guessing you're at capacity at the moment, so you can't take yeah. any. Yeah, I knew that, but I thought I'd mention it in case someone gets in contact with you. But I will get some um, contact details in case, in case because yeah. I do put it in the show notes. But at the moment, anyone listening, Noor is at full capacity, sorry to say, and also <laughs> Wizard OT pretty much is as well. So pivoting, switching focus a little bit. Now, I would really like to know a tiny bit about your background. Now, you mentioned that you're originally from Iraq, and we had a really deep conversation, actually, when you were on placement about what living in Iraq 
was like and then moving to Australia. So I know we've only got, we we can finish just, I reckon if we finish about 8.55 a.m. So <laughs> can you give us your whole life story in 15 minutes? But I really yeah. want to give people an mm. insight because unfortunately in my original um, country of origin, the UK, mm. there's still a lot of, uh, and in the US and in Australia in many ways, there's a lot of misguided and i would probably say racist viewpoints about people who are seeking asylum or refugees and i want to highlight how amazing a story you and how amazing person you are to come from such a difficult situation so i'm gonna stop rambling so could you just say tell a little bit about how you ended up actually moving to australia and and why yeah after the Iraqi, uh, after the American invasion of Iraq in 2004, 2003-2004, um, my family who already lived in Australia, like un uncles and aunties, they gotten really worried about us because the situation gotten really bad and security-wise, you know, like people were not safe. And before that, there was no... I mean, it was difficult to live under the Saddam Hussein regime. The, the reason why I'm saying difficult is because um, uh, it was just, it was not democratic. It's just like you have to be careful of what to say, but basically lived safely and protected unless you naughty to the government. Yeah. But it's just not many resources so it was just like um we lived under sanctions so we got what we got we had food rations still food rations now but it was um a liberal country so it, it was beautiful green safe like we go out at night got places restaurants parties i was when the war happened i was second year medical school so i was to be a medical doctor mm, and i was going to a world class university um by myself, got to uni every day in my high heels and my really nice clothes and full makeup on and hair out and just normal life, you know. It just got to stay away from the government, you know what I mean? Um, but when the war happened, it, it became quite apparent that the, the future was a bit for us because I'm from a religious minority and um, my family here, my extended family were getting worried because of what they saw on TV and that. So we got sponsored to come as um, immigrants, so um, humanitarian immigrants. So I actually got into Australia legally. We got granted the permanent residence in Jordan um, after meeting with the Australian consulate there and presenting our case. And we got welcomed as a humanitarian, legal humanitarian refugees. And we enter Australia in 2005. So that's when I first arrived. And um, it was really, um, I think migrating to Australia is, was, was the hardest thing I've ever do. People might think um, me saying, being crazy saying that, but I actually suffered from homesickness quite, quite long time. Um, I didn't see my country as broken the time I left. I had future there. I was studying to be a doctor. And I'm a very, um, I just loved, I loved my hometown. I loved my street. I had long life friends, history, my school, you know, everything. And I'm I'm one of those people that like 
these sentimental things. So I love history. I love my roots. So suddenly coming to Australia and have absolutely, I was uprooted and thrown somewhere else. It's how it felt to me. And I worked all my life to get into medicine. And it's really hard, as you know. Um, and then suddenly I came to Australia and all of that was not recognized. Ugh. So I couldn't get into medicine again. I didn't speak the language very well. I had to start at TAFE. Um, so I it took me through three years, two or three years to get into medical science. But because of I I ha, I work hard basically, and I just was adamant to do something out of my, my of myself. I just went from that mentality that it's too late. I was twenty one when I got into bachelor. I went, um, I did this little course with a job advisor person. I just did, I don't, I don't know what was the course. It was just something I did. Uh, I was a whole group of people trying to find jobs or trying to, you know, define their careers or find future. And the person who did the course was a 72-year-old man who looked at me and said, What are you doing here? I said, Well, I don't I want to know what to do with myself. And that is like, you're 21. You are a baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> I put it in, in perspective of what life in Australia is like. It's too late to start. And it's not too late to start. Sorry, I meant any time. You just mm. you just pick up yourself. And that's the reason why I went, okay, all right, hang on. There's no need to, it's not too late. I'm just gonna start again. So I did the whole medical science and I fell in love with the research. It's when I realized. I am not going to do medicine because it's not what something I like to do. I liked research, did it for a while until I told you, you know, what happened. Mm. And, and then I started again and I did occupational therapy in 2018. So this is how I, how it came about. Um, Nor I would just say on behalf of but definitely me and I would say probably the rest, <laughs> I would say you, you, are an absolute diamond addition to the occupational therapy profession mm, because you. you have such a deep knowledge of human anatomy, biology, the brain. I'm I'm envious. I I I mean at 21 years old, just to give people some context, was like I was basically, and this is where I think being very honest and open is like I was basically a petty criminal at the age of 21. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I was using drugs. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. I'd been into detox, rehab. I had no prospects. I had nothing that was really going well for me. I was not, I was not well mentally or physically. I was severely traumatized from certain things which I hadn't even addressed. I was I was often violent. I would become angry and become violent because I've been the subject of violence from a very young age. But this is what I want to say to people is, is that if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh, I can't change my life. It's like 21, 31, 41, 51. Mm. Like even in my, to my 30s, I was still resolving those issues. I didn't even do my undergrad of occupational therapy till I was 28 years old. Mm. Yeah, and I did my master's of OT at the age of 31. So yeah. it's it's not. And the more mature you are, the better learner you are. Actually, because you will just learn what you need. You just, your brain will learn to pick what you need and do it properly. And I'm gutted. I didn't actually, because again, I wasn't, I had to go from ground level. I had to go from like getting my, in the UK, you have what's called GCSEs. 
I didn't have any qualification. I'd left school with no qualifications. I went right from the beginning, but I realized in my mind, I remember thinking, I've always been quite inquisitive and I was quite intelligent when I was a child, but that kind of disappeared because I hated going to school and I hated learning things that I didn't have to learn or I thought I shouldn't have to learn. And Mm. I got marked as like uh, unmotivated, could do better. Anything which I found interesting, I would absolutely excel at. So anything to do with reading, writing, um, creative things, I would just smash it and not even try. And they'd be like, why can't you do this with your maths and physics and stuff? And I was like, well, I just don't find it interesting. They're like, well, you have to find it interesting. Mm. And I really hope, I really hope that through the work that I do, that I can just at least put a little bit of a nugget, like a, like an inspiration nugget to a generation of people who feel that there's no hope. Like I work with a lot of people who like their own, their only prospects they think is to smoke weed, drink and shoplift and probably end up in jail. Like that is what they think is their only path because they hated school. They don't go to school. And then they, I talk to them about my life story. I don't tell them every single in and out, every little tiny bit, but they're like, what? So you were kind of like me at 15, 16. I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, how did you do what you did now? I was like, oh, I turned my life around. They're like, how did you do that? And I was like, through loads of trial and error. But yeah, I think, yeah. You just got to so, try. I mean, like, I, I, I nearly gave up, like, a few times because there's people around me who came in the same, the same, but they, they get not gave up. They didn't become nothing, but they didn't, yeah. they didn't use their potential, if I'm saying, just. Yeah. odd jobs or no jobs or just like you know simple boring life mm. and they admit it is is just they can't they didn't find that drive to try they thought it was too late or too hard um, I'll give you I'll give you another example yeah. no I used to be into and I still am now I do um street art I do emceeing I rap I break dance all these things I was very much I love the hip-hop package um and i used to do something called scratch djing so people might not know what that is it was in the 90s something called turntablism so it was like using the um turntables as Mm. instruments and you would use two and you would scratch and move records and all this anyway bit of a nerdy Mm. thing um and i was 15 and i got myself a pair of turntables managed to save up i didn't really save it up i won't say how i got the money um i got some turntables and a mixer and I then saw a thing in a magazine about someone who'd won something. No, I was six, 17 at the time that I managed to do that. And I saw an article in a magazine about someone, a DJ from the US called A-Track. And he had won something called the DMC, which is the Disco Mixing Championships, which is like the world top level. And he was 15 years old. So I gave up. Yeah. Because he was 15. I was like, well, that's pointless. Yeah. I'm two years older than him. Turns out I now know his history and you can find his history very easily. He was from a family of musicians. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he was supported all his life. Yeah. And I was someone who just read a magazine article. And that's what I want to just say to anybody who's listening to this, like, it's too late. Or I don't think I can change anything or whatever. It's never too late to make a change either no. job-wise, health-wise. I think that's another thing which is really important. But to put you right on the spot, because we're going to finish up now, because I know you've got a session. I want to give you a couple of minutes just to get ready. Um, yes. 
Is there anything you could say to maybe a new grad who's just come into the end of their studies or just popped out of the the OT factory or the physio factory or the sounds like a business OT factory, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Maybe that'll be my next business name, Wizard Factory. Um, <laughs> some sort of like word of like inspirational, it will be okay. Because I think it can be really powerful hearing that from someone who's a clinician. So is there anything you would want to say to yourself maybe when you popped out of the uni factory or the phys- uh, OT yeah. factory about how it how your career is going or how it may go? Yeah, so if, if, if you're in a job, so basically if you're in a job out of uni and you feel you don't know and you're not doing the right thing, it's not your responsibility. It's you're in the wrong spot. Mm. And if you feel that you're so tired and you are out of your depth and everyone's telling you it's fine, this is normal, it is not. Just change jobs. There is so much fish in the sea. Just go try and try until you find the right spot to stand on your feet because it shouldn't be like this. No, that is beautiful. And I, I, you know what? I really miss being a practice educator. And when I'm next in Sydney, we should definitely meet up for lunch. Oh, yeah. Please let me know. I was waiting for you last Christmas. <laughs> well, well, I'm actually in Sydney now every three months because I'm expanding Wizard OT and I'm actually in Sydney. So if you know anyone that needs a sensory assessment, a functional capacity assessment or trauma focused OT for adults and teenagers, you can make a referral to me. So there I will. Go. No problem. And let me know. Yeah, so we can meet up. Sweet. So, Noor, thank you so much. And it's been such a pleasure. And this sort of conversation really inspires me because I'll be honest, out of all the students I had, I had some great students, but you were, and this is not just blowing smoke at you. Yeah, I shouldn't say the real term, but you were a fantastic student and it was really inspiring and you've inspired me today. So thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I hope you have a lovely day. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. As I said at the beginning of the episode, it was recorded way back in April 2023. So I said, time flies. Make sure to check out Noor's website. So that's relatefirst.com.au. That is relatefirst.com.au. I will put that in the show notes rather than you having to try and write it down. If you want to know more about Wizard OT or to make a referral to Wizard OT, check out wizardot.com. And also check us out on Instagram, wizard underscore OT. The website is all about street art therapy. So go check that out. Have a look. And there'll be another episode in two weeks time. Thanks for listening and see you next time.